So let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 as we very slowly work our way through 1 Peter. Today we're going to cover verses 14 through 16. I think we're making progress. We covered two verses last time and one verse the time before. Now we're going to cover three verses. So we're actually making progress. And who knows how many we might cover next week. But we're going to cover these three verses. Let's read these together. Verse 14, If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, or blessed, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you, or upon you. On their part, on the part of those who reproach you, on their part, he is blasphemed. God is blasphemed. But on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for every precious, precious word in our Holy Bible. The God-breathed, God-inspired scriptures that you've passed down to us over several thousand years. Lord, we thank you for speaking to us through your prophets and your apostles, and most of all, through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have preserved these words for us. Though we know the enemy has fought and fought and tried and tried to take down your word, he will never succeed. The word of the Lord endures forever. So we ask you to bless this time of study in your word now, Father, and help us to make application to our own lives. We ask you to cause your word to penetrate deep within our hearts and minds. In the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So, Peter's been talking about this really somewhat throughout the book of 1 Peter. He kind of really ramped it up here in chapter 4, this whole idea of being persecuted, trials, suffering for Christ, all those things that we just love to hear about. But things that have gone on with God's people since the beginning of time. And yet somehow we still manage to feel sorry for ourselves, don't we? But all the way back to the first two sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Abel was a righteous man. Cain was a man of the flesh. Cain killed his righteous brother, Abel. And it's been going on ever since. So he says here in verse 14, if you are reproached. So he's continuing on now with this theme of trials, of persecution. We read back in verse 13 last week, rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. To the extent. I think we could make the case that though many have suffered in the name of Christ, many have suffered for many reasons, but none more significantly than those who have suffered for Christ. But Jesus suffered more than all of us. What he endured cannot be compared to what anybody else has endured because not only did he endure tremendous physical suffering, the spiritual, emotional, psychological suffering we could never even comprehend because it involved bearing the sins of the entire human race upon himself. So to the extent, and I think we talked about this either last week or the time before that, that, uh, you know, whenever we start to maybe 
feel sorry for ourselves, we need to remind ourselves of what Christ has endured for us. Rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, keeping our eyes on the prize, the end game, when we see him in all of his glory, and we too are glorified, we will be like him, the Bible says. You may also be glad with exceeding joy, because you know that you have endured, you have persevered, not been perfect because none of us are and none of us can be in this present form. But glad with exceeding joy that God enabled you to endure the trials and tribulations of this life so that you can not only witness the glory of God, the glory of Jesus Christ, but you can become partakers. We can become partakers of that glory as we too are glorified. If you are reproached, the word reproach means to find fault with a person, a group, etc. To blame, to censure, to upbraid, to be a cause of blame or, to, or discredit too. Now we just had one of our crazy psycho TV talk show hosts, Joy Behar. I don't know how many of you saw this, but Mike Pence, like any true believer would say the same thing he said jesus talks to him now i don't believe mike pence was saying that in the way that sarah young does with jesus calling but how many of us here today believe and know that as we read the scriptures as we pray as we commune with god he speaks to our hearts and minds now i would think it would be rash foolish unwise to go out like many do and say, thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord is found in the Holy Scriptures, right? I don't know that your thus saith the Lord and my thus saith the Lord can be taken to the bank unless it comes from the Bible. And that's what I believe what Mike Pence meant. Just like any believer would say, yeah, God talks to me. Well, he was excoriated on the view by Joy Behar and basically called insane. How many of you know who Joy Behar is? Isn't that sad that we actually know who she is? How unfortunate. At least Rosie's not there anymore. There's always something to be thankful for. You've got to look for the, the positive. She says that Mike Pence is insane for saying Jesus talks to him and it's dangerous to have him for a vice president. And then that sweetheart of the left, Oprah Winfrey, whom everybody was encouraging to run for president, comes out a couple days later and says, God hasn't told me to run. Is she also insane? Of course not. She talks to God. God talks to her, but that's okay. You see, the reason I bring all this up, not to be political, I'm not trying to be political, because of what Peter is saying here. When we are reproached, Mike Pence got majorly reproached. He's not the only one. It happens all the time. But to be reproached means that they find fault with you. They blame you. They censor you. Every time we have something like this recent horrible mass shooting in Florida, we all know about that, right? In fact, let's stop and pray for them right now. Father, we lift up the families, the friends, the teachers, everyone that's been affected and impacted by this tragedy. Pray for your comfort, your peace, your strength. 
and that you would, Lord, glorify yourself through all this. I'm sure there were probably some believers involved, uh, students who may have been killed or injured, family members. Lord, we pray that somehow you would be glorified and people would be brought to Christ through this tragedy. And that you would give our nation's leaders on the city, state, local level, as well as the national level, the wisdom they need to bring an end to these violent school shootings. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit upon the people of that community and that school. We ask now in Jesus' name. Amen. But whenever one of these things happens, the left-wing, radical, liberal politicians and media immediately rush to try to prove that it was somehow connected to Christianity. Have you ever noticed that? They'll try to say it's white supremacy or it's, you know, a Christian extremist or whatever. And almost always they're wrong. But again, it points to the fact how ready the world is to try to bring reproach upon those who follow Christ. It's no different now than it was in Peter's day as he wrote this. Notice, it's really important, though, Peter's focus here, if you are reproached for the name of Christ. And we'll see in a moment, Peter says it it doesn't really count if you're being reproached for something wrong that you've done. This is for the name of Christ. He's dealing specifically with the persecution that comes as a direct result of standing for living for and proclaiming Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And again, we know there have been all these recent situations where Christian businessmen and women have refused to bake cakes for gay weddings or take photographers have refused to photograph these weddings in direct violation of our freedoms given to us by the Constitution no one should be forced to provide a service to someone that they, when they don't agree with their lifestyle. And yet these people have been sued. They've lost their businesses, lost their livelihoods, hundreds of thousands of dollars. So maybe in America we're not yet at the point where people are dying, although I think there have been some cases. But they're more isolated incidents. There have certainly been believers who have been physically assaulted for standing for Christ. But there are other ways of being reproached. And when, you're, when your good name, your livelihood, is taken from you, that's definitely reproach. That's definitely persecution. For the name of Christ. Luke 26 through 32 reads, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. Listen to Jesus. What is... Perhaps the most important thing or one of the most important things to most people to have other people speak well of you, to think well of you, right? Everybody wants to be liked, right? And so especially today as we've seen this multi-generational browbeating of political correctness. You can't say this. You can't say that. You can't think this. You can't think that, right? That's the culture we're living in. And yet Jesus says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. So exactly the opposite of what the world wants people to believe and what many, many people have bought into. The idea is, if everybody likes you, you're doing well. 
But the problem is, you can't be a true disciple of Christ, a true follower of Christ, and have everybody like you. It won't work. So Jesus says, that's when you need to watch out. Not when people are angry with you because of your faith. That's a good sign. You know how we as Christians are always going around saying, well, but the enemy is really be attacking me. I must be doing something right. Well, it's not quite that simplistic. I mean, sometimes God is trying to get our attention. You know, one of my friends the other day brought up that scripture where it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And he pointed out that sometimes we as believers want to blame it on the devil when it's actually God resisting us because we're operating out of pride. So it's not quite as simplistic as, well, it must be doing something right. Although many times that is the case. And certainly when those in the world are angry with us, when they bring us under reproach because of our faith, it's a good thing. Jesus says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. You know, I remember one of the uh, many uh, pastoral mentors I've sat on under the years. Not many. There's been a, Chuck Smith would be the number one by far and away. I believe it was a different one that said this. But he says, People vote with their feet. Which, uh, I don't want to dwell on that too much. <laughs> but... People are voting with their feet today in that the massive megachurches in America today are places like the ancient Israelites. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. So people flock to the false prophets because they have a message that is palatable, it's comfortable, it tickles their ears, and it's what people want to hear. So there's two sides to that coin. Some people vote by leaving. Others vote by coming. But if you look at where most of the votes are being cast today, they're being cast for churches and ministries where there's no challenge, there's no confrontation, there's no true, pure gospel message. But do you get my point here? Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. I told you in the past, if you go to Sam's Club, don't ever buy any Christian book other than the Bible there. Because if Sam's Club carries it, there's a high degree of probability that it's doctrinally in error. Because if it's so popular that Sam's Club carries it and everybody in America likes it, it's probably not right on the money. And everywhere I go, I hate to keep bringing this guy up. But I run into people of every persuasion, every gender. Well, you only used to have two, but... Every gender, every ethnicity. And a lot of them aren't really even believers. But everybody loves... Who? That's right. So did their fathers. I didn't even say it. You did. I got you to say it. So did their fathers to the false prophets. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, 
Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. So this ties in with what Peter's talking about here, being reproached for the name of Christ. And what's the proper response? Peter says, moving on here, still in verse 14, Blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. I see two things here. First of all, the very fact that people persecute you for the name of Christ is evidence that God is with you and in you. It's God's presence with you, in you, and upon you that irritates and upsets those who don't know him, who don't like him, who don't want to know him. And every time they're in your company, if you're walking in the Spirit, if they can see Jesus in you, with you, and upon you, you're a painful reminder of who they are not and what they don't have. It upsets them. The Spirit and glory of God rests upon you. And that's exactly why they don't like you. Secondarily, our sufferings for Christ do not go unnoticed by God. In other words, Peter's saying, God is well pleased when we endure joyfully, patiently, with long-suffering, the reproach of men. Our sufferings for Christ do not go unnoticed by God. He is ready, willing, and able to pour out His Spirit on those who suffer for His name's sake. Again, everything's going to be all right in Christ, right? In Christ. As long as we remember that, as long as we stick with Him and we know that He is with us, if God be for us, who can be against us? The answer, no one. No one in heaven, on earth, or under the earth can be against us when God is for us. And God is for us when we are for Him. Matthew 19, 29. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. And so... One aspect of this idea of persecution, of reproach, sometimes it involves losing these things, leaving houses, brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, wives, and children. Boy, I tell you, that's where the rubber meets the road. What if everybody around you rejected you because of your faith? And again, I've seen many people shrink back from their faith, walk away from their faith, now, God knows what's in their hearts, but at least on paper, the outward appearance would be they've, they've exchanged God for their fathers, mothers, sisters, brothers, houses, land. Because it was too difficult, too painful. But according to what I read in the Bible, what I see in the Bible, what we just read, if we're going to truly be a disciple of Christ, we have to be willing to pay whatever price it takes. Not because we're trying to get rid of anybody. Not because we're trying to use it as an excuse. Well, my husband's this rotten, filthy, pagan, heathen, non-believer, so 
he doesn't want to follow God, so I'm going to divorce him. That's not what, no, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about friends and family and other people who reject us because of our faith. And again, there are many facets to this issue and many nuances. But I don't believe, as I read the scriptures, and we talk about what the Bible refers to as submission of wives to husbands, for example. I don't believe, again, the, the apostles confirmed this when they stood before the Sanhedrin in the book of Acts. They were, the apostles were commanded to no longer preach in the name of Jesus. Do you remember that? Okay, but the apostles didn't say, okay, you guys are the bosses. You're the spiritual leaders of Israel. You're the Sanhedrin. We won't talk about Jesus anymore. Yet that's what many people in America today are doing. Oh, no. We're offending people by saying the name of Jesus. Oh, and even uh, offending people because we refer to God in the masculine gender. Was it Thomas Nelson? One of the Bible publishers just came out with a gender-neutral Bible. No, the apostles said, Sorry, guys, we're not going to stop. Because we must obey God rather than men. Now, this gets pretty tricky because I don't believe... You're obligated to obey someone who says, no, you can't go to church. You can't read your Bible. You can't pray. Excuse me? Honey, I'll take out the trash, but I'm not staying home from church. If that's, I'm speaking from the male perspective there because that's kind of... Uh, my wife usually takes out the trash. <laughs> but I keep getting back in. That was self-deprecating humor, you know, which I've read recently is really good for you, actually. It's very healthy to practice self-deprecating humor. So, Honey, I'll make your dinner for you, but I'm not staying home from church. Now, that, that could cause a problem, couldn't it? That spouse, whether it be male or female, they might threaten to divorce you. Which, by the way, no spouse should ever do that to another spouse. That word should never come out of your mouth. I give your spouse permission to wash your mouth out with soap if you say that word. What do you think of that? My mother washed my mouth out with soap when I was about five years old. The word that came out of my mouth didn't come out again for a long, long time. I didn't even know what it was. I heard my cousin say it. <laughs> he was three years older than me. And I made a little song out of it, a little rhyme. And I came marching through the house. Boom! Right into the bathroom, baby. Now my mother would probably be arrested for child abuse. But my mother knew what she was doing. It worked. Please don't use that word. Words are hurtful. Words are painful. They're like a knife cutting into the heart. 
Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Again, we have to constantly work to keep the eternal perspective in our sights. What we're doing here and now isn't for here and now. It's for eternity. And Peter is saying, when we are joyfully, willingly enduring these things, not because they're fun, certainly not, they are painful, but if we can find the strength through the power of God, the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, working within us, the truth of God's Word which undergirds us and gives us the strength and the ability to endure these things, one day it's all going to be worth it. We're We're going to really see that when we see Jesus face to face. Now this gets really interesting at this point. He says, still in verse 14, on their part he is blasphemed. Wow. This is heavy duty. According to God, because God is speaking through Peter here, right? All scriptures God breathed. According to God, when people reproach us for the name of Christ, when they find fault with us, when they blame us, when they censure us, when they upbraid us, blame us and discredit us for the name of Christ, they're actually blaspheming God. Hey, Jesus said, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me, you're in me, I'm in you. That's the relationship we have through Jesus Christ. When we're born again by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside us and we are directly, eternally connected to God. So Peter says, when they bring reproach upon you, they are actually blaspheming God. That means to speak of the supreme being in terms of impious irreverence, to revile or speak reproachfully of God or the Holy Spirit. So you see, there's another reason not to take it personally. Because it's not really you they're attacking. It's not really me they're attacking. It's God they're attacking. And that, when we realize that and recognize it, what that should cause us to do is to pray for them. Because when you're blaspheming God, you're walking a very fine line. Right? Now, Paul was a blasphemer and he got saved. I'm not saying they can't get saved. I'm just saying it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. And when they reproach us, they're blaspheming God. And just like we who are earthly parents here today or maybe watching on internet or what have you, later on on TV, when we earthly parents, just like we earthly parents, God doesn't take it lightly when someone attacks one of his kids. Some people take this whole concept of the king's kids and they turn it into some kind of prosperity message because God's rich, that means I'm, I should be rich also. But here's the real deal when it comes to being the king's kids. How do you feel when somebody attacks your kids? You don't like it, do you? You're not going to take it sitting down. Now again, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And again, that's good news also. That means we don't have to worry about it. God will deal with them. Hopefully, 
prayerfully, the way he deals with them is reaching their heart and drawing them to himself and they are born again by the Spirit of God and they get saved too, right? That's what he would desire. That's what we would desire. But if they choose not to, if they continue to reject him throughout their earthly days, one day they will have to stand before him and give an account and he will hold them accountable for what they have done to his kids. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to deal with it. He will, and it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So instead of being angry with them, upset with them, we should be praying for them because they are walking on the old thin ice. And what's under the thin ice is a lot hotter. Right? Okay, on their part, they're blaspheming God. But on your part, he's glorified. Even as the persecutor is blaspheming God when he or she attacks us, our willingness to joyfully, verse 13, endure such attacks brings much glory to God. And by the way, that's why we're here. Did you know that? So many people down through the centuries have asked the age-old question, Why am I here? What is life all about? I can make it real simple for you. You're here to bring glory to God. On your part, He is glorified. When we don't retaliate, when we don't strike back, when we take it like men and women of God, when we take it like Jesus took it. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and He opened not His mouth. Boy, it, it, you have to fight every fiber of your being, don't you? Everything within us wants to defend, wants to fight back, wants to take revenge. That's the flesh. The Spirit of God is peaceful, gentle, kind, loving. We need to tap into that fruit of the Holy Spirit so that we can bring glory to God. Verse 15, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Suffering because of something bad that you've done doesn't count as suffering for Christ. Please pray for me. I'm suffering for the Lord here at the Bernalillo County Jail. Really, what happened? Oh, I robbed a bank. I shot somebody. But I'm suffering for the Lord. No, no, you're not. (laughs) You're suffering for your own misdeeds. Peter says, don't let that be the reason that you suffer. And he is writing to Christians, so... You mean to tell me it's actually possible that a Christian might do some of these things? Unfortunately, yes. Because we are still in a fallen world. We are still fallen individuals. We have a dual nature, and that's what we deal with. Much of Romans talks about this. We did an in-depth study several years ago. The DVDs are available. The CDs are available. But in this life, once we're born again, before we're born again, we just have one nature, a sin nature. That's it, period. Once we're born again, we have a dual nature. We have the new man, the old man. I've likened the old man unto a zombie who keeps coming back up out of the grave. And every time you knock those suckers down, they come back. It's a constant battle. Paul talked about it. That which I would do, I do not. And that which I would not do, I do. Oh, woe to me. Woe is me. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? Only Jesus can do that. But it is a battle that we will fight for the rest of our lives till we are perfected when we see Jesus face to face. 
1 Peter 2.20, For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. 1 Peter 3.17, It is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. That seems like a no-brainer, doesn't it? But Peter makes the point, he wants us to understand this. If it is God's will for you to suffer, it's much better to be suffering for doing good than for doing evil. But you know what I find interesting here? Uh, Some of these are real obvious. Murderer, thief, evildoer. But then he throws in a busybody in other people's matters. Can you believe Peter puts that in the same list with murder and thievery and evildoing? I find it quite interesting that Peter lumps this particular sin in with murder, thievery, and evil doing. Yet I doubt that hardly anybody would put that on the same level, being a busybody in other people's matters. Titus 3.10, rejected divisive man after the first and second admonition. But most people don't do that. There are people who, for whatever reason, there, there can be a multitude of reasons They just have a compulsion, a desire, a need to divide. To divide friends from one another, family members from one another, co-workers. And yes, Virginia, Christians do it too. Paul tells Titus, warn them once, warn them twice, and then you don't have anything to do with them. It's called tough love. Most people won't or can't do that. And so we have it all over the place. People dividing, busybodies, messing in other people's business. Believers ought not to do that, and yet it happens. Proverbs six sixteen through nineteen. These things, six things the Lord hates. That's powerful language, isn't it? And people that's why we need to study to show ourselves approved, workmen that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, because at a surface reading people would say, God hates? How horrible. What a horrible God you serve. He hates? Well, he hates these six things and even seven are an abomination to him. A proud look. He hates pride. Should he hate pride? Yeah. Pride is, goes before a fall. A proud look. A lying tongue. Sure God hates lies because he's perfect. God cannot lie. Hands that shed innocent blood. Murder, as Peter points out. Yeah, we should hate that. We should hate murder. And he hates the hands that committed the murder. Notice that. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift and running to evil. A false witness who speaks lies. And one who sows discord among brethren. That's why Peter put this in the list. Because God hates it. Murderer, thief, evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. I would even propose to you that as much or more harm has been done by busybodies who meddle in either other people's matters as has been done by murderers, thieves, and evildoers. Think on that one a little bit. Think about it. We talked earlier about the, the reproach of the outside world, harming Christians, harming their livelihoods, taking their businesses away, and so forth. Well, busybodies who meddle in other people's matters have done the same thing. 
1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Paul writes, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? And by that it means, now we, we've all come, sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. We are all sinners. But the wicked are those who, who refuse to repent, who refuse to confess their sins before God, to turn and go the other way. Because in our fallen state, we're all wicked, okay? But there are those who choose to continue to be wicked. They don't want to change. They don't want to follow God. And Paul says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. You think that's fair? Yeah, God's perfect in all of his ways. Of course it's fair. It's just. It's right. He is righteous. He is holy. The wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, Paul writes, neither the sexually immoral or idolaters or adulterers nor male prostitutes nor homosexual offenders. Sorry. Sorry, 21st century world. God hasn't changed. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Maybe the world is going to change its values and adjust its morals. God doesn't. And God calls the shots. Verse 10, Nor thieves, nor the greedy, which Peter references, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, which again ties right in with busybodies and other people's matters, divisiveness, discord, slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You see, in our minds, certain types of sin are worse than others. In fact, we even have the term little white lie. But I've never heard anybody say big black lie. <laughs> black lies matter. Let's be really politically incorrect here today, shall we? I said black lies matter. But so do little white lies. Does God say, Oh, that's just a little white lie. Well, I, I can overlook that. Now, that's just some backbiting gossip and slander. You didn't murder anybody, but you did with your tongue. You see? You did with your tongue. It's funny, that old expression they taught us when we were kids. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a crock. You get hit by a stick a little while later, you don't even feel it anymore. Words pierce into the gut. And they don't go away. They stick in your heart and your mind. Boy, you're stupid. You'll never amount to anything. Guess what? You keep telling him that one day, he's going to be stupid and he's never going to amount to anything. I'm getting chills right now. We are a bunch of idiots. The way we run our mouths off and put each other down and cut each other down and destroy each other with our words, a lot of times the person would have been better off if you shot them. Do you get it? And that applies at every level of our society, including these idiots who claim to be our leaders. The trash and the garbage that constantly comes out of their mouths. And the people in Hollywood the biggest bunch of fake, phony hypocrites who ever came down the road. Me too, baloney. They take advantage of every opportunity to strip off every piece of clothing and appear on a large screen so everybody can see them. Me too, me thinks not. What a bunch of baloney. And again, Gee, might they be busybodies 
in other people's matters? Yeah, they're quick to point the finger, aren't they? But guess what? There's three pointing back at them. Jet fuel. (laughs) Took a minute, didn't it? You didn't have your jet fuel. James 1.26, if any among you thinks he is religious, and James uses the word religious in a good way, and he goes on to talk about that, looking after widows and orphans. But he says, if any of you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, well, this is one of those one-liners that just, man, hits you right in the gut. If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Heavy. Heavy. Bridling the tongue. James has a whole chapter on the tongue. Recommend that you read it. We could go on and on with this subject, but we won't. We'll move on. But again, if not, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Verse 16, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Now I've said before that the term Christian has gotten so bent out of shape, I almost prefer to use the term believer, but it was a bona fide, genuine term in the first century church. The name or title Christian means little Christ. A Christian is someone who seeks to be like Jesus. Acts 11.26 And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was there, it was that For a a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And so sadly, unfortunately, so many have dishonored the, the term Christian both inside and outside the church that it's lost a lot of its purity and meaning. But it means little Christ. If anyone suffers as a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ, and by the way, it's only possible to do that It's only possible to suffer as a Christian if there's actually evidence in our lives that we are like Jesus. Think about that. If you're not speaking like Jesus, acting like Jesus, if people can't see Jesus in you, then it's highly unlikely that you're going to suffer as a Christian. It's like that old saying, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. If we find embarrassment in being identified with Jesus to the degree that people persecute us for our faith, if that embarrasses us, we will most likely shrink back from following him, as many have done, in order to gain acceptance with the world. I've seen that so much in the world of entertainment. Somebody comes out as a believer, like Bob Dylan, for example. Man, he came on hot and heavy, started writing Christian music, released two, perhaps arguably three albums that were very Christ-centered, even got a Grammy Award for Slow Train Coming. Powerful lyrics, man. I'm telling you, some of the best Christian music ever written was written by Bob Dylan. But what happened when he went out and started doing concerts and putting his Christian music in, people began to boo him, mock him. And after so many years of being worshipped as a god, he couldn't handle it. So he backed way down. Now, a number of people I've talked to that know him to one degree or another believe he's still 
a follower of Christ. But in terms of his public persona, his public witness, he shut it down. Couldn't take the heat. It's happened many times with people, famous people, well-known people, prosperous people who come out and then all hell breaks loose. And sadly, they back down. So for those who seek and strive after fame and fortune, there's definitely a big downside. Let them not be ashamed. Hebrews 10, 38 and 39. Now the just shall live by faith. Just, the justified. We've been justified by faith. That means just as if I'd never sinned through God's eyes because Christ lives in us. We've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Our sins have been forgiven. As far as God's concerned, it's just as if we'd never sinned. Justified. The just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, or one translation says shrinks back. If anyone draws back or shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back, Paul writes, to perdition. Wow. What is perdition? It's another name for Hades, for hell, for the place of torment and punishment. Judas was called the son of perdition. The Antichrist is called the son of perdition. And so the writer of Hebrews, Paul, we believe, I believe, we are not of those who shrink back to perdition. He's warning the Hebrews throughout this book, and we had a study a couple weeks ago on this, not to fall back from that high place of grace. Salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Any way you slice it, dice it, read it, drawing back, shrinking back is not good. And yet that's the temptation we all face when we suffer reproach in this life. The temptation to shrink back, to draw back. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in this matter by joyfully standing up in the face of reproach, persecution without shame, embarrassment, or anger. Mark 8, 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, hey, buddy, how come you worship that God that says homosexuals are going to hell? What's the matter with you? Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I have a new translation now. We fixed that. That might be shrinking back. You look at the Old Testament. God tells them to slaughter all these people. What's up with that? Your God is worse than Allah. Oh, well, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, we don't worship that God. We only worship the New Testament God. They're going to come at you from all kinds of angles. That's why it's important to do what we're doing here today. Study to show ourselves workmen and women that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed. Ouch! When he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Romans 1.16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. What is the matter with you Christians? You worship some so-called God who was a man who was nailed to the cross and died and then you claim he rose from the dead? That's a bunch of hooey. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. 
for the Jew first and also for the Greek. See, (laughs) the devil has not changed his M.O. in 6,000 years. And it's so easy to tell where the devil is, what he's up to, whether it's on Main Street, whether it's on Wall Street, whether it's in Washington, D.C., or Hollywood, California. He always points the finger and accuses the other person of what he himself is doing. You see how that works? He's easy to recognize if you know what to look for because he's always, he's the accuser of the brethren. Hello? And yet, his strategy, see, through the reproach of men, pointing the finger at you and pointing the finger at me, you're the bad guys. You're worse than the terrorists, you Christians. You're unloving. You're divisive. You're hateful. You're bigoted. But it's actually the other side. That's all those things. Get it? But see, you constant bombardment, constant assault. And so people begin to crumble. They begin to give in. Well, maybe I really am like that. Maybe I'm not understanding enough. Maybe I'm not loving enough. Maybe I am bigoted. Maybe I am a racist. Blah, 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 blah. And so then you began to give in and accept every form of evil being shoved down your throat by this wicked world and the devil that's behind it. Get it? Hello, are we awake here today? Sadly, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Why would you want to be ashamed of that? It has the power to save souls. Deliver people from the fires of hell. I'm not ashamed of that, Paul says. Sadly, many today in the seeker-friendly, purpose-driven, emergent church do seem to be ashamed of the true gospel. Oh, now here's the list of the words that we don't use in this church. Listen up, leadership. Listen up, ministry workers. We don't use these words. Sin. Very offensive. Very offensive. Blood. We don't talk about the blood of Christ. That grosses people out. Makes some people queasy. We don't talk. Sin. Blood. Confession. Sounds too Catholic. We're not going to use that one. Sounds like you're being interrogated. We don't want to make anybody feel like they're being interrogated. No, okay, no sin, no blood, no confession, no repentance. That sounds pretty fire and brimstone. We don't want to you know, upset anybody by using the word repent. You see how it works? You think that this is just me making a joke? You don't think this is going on today in the churches of America? That, that really our list cross? We don't talk about the cross. Yeah, you don't have them on display. That's right. See how that works? There are many today who claim to be Christians who are ashamed of the true gospel. Now, Charles Ryrie, this section here, 2 Timothy 1.8, his heading here in his Bible, the call of a soldier of Christ, 2 Timothy 1.8, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, 
Paul writes, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. He refers to the power of God. It's the power of God, the Holy Spirit in us, that enables us to joyfully endure reproach without shame. Email to Pastor Gary. I watched you on the internet today. You should be ashamed of yourself for preaching like that. See how it works? Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. 2 Timothy 1.12 For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Paul, come on, man. You claim to be some apostle or something and you're in jail? You're a jailbird? Are you kidding me? You have no credibility, Paul. Isn't that what the people of the world would say? If you're such a great man of God, what are you doing behind bars? I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, Paul says, and am persuaded. How many people today are persuaded? You know, or, or is, are they flexible? You know, can they be talked out of it? Somebody comes along up with a good enough argument, can you be talked out of what you believe? Apparently that's happening with many people. They're being talked out of it. They're being persuaded not to believe. They're being persuaded to believe something other than the truth. Paul says, I know whom I believe and am persuaded that he's able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. What have you committed to him? Everything? Your life? All that you are? All that you have? Have you committed it all to Christ? Paul says, I've done that and I know God's able to hang on to it and hold on to it until I see him face to face. In 2 Timothy 2.15 Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker, I've quoted this several times already today, who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Charles Ryrie says, accurately handling, correctly handling the word of God in both analysis and presentation. In contrast, and this is still Ryrie's words, in contrast to the inane interpretations of false teachers. According to God, speaking through the Apostle Paul, who is writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, one of the best ways to be ashamed of yourself is to not rightly divide the word of truth. To not accurately handle God's word in both analysis and presentation. And yet, what, what are so many out there trying to do? They're trying to shame us for doing the very thing that we're supposed to be doing. I've had people, jet fuel, <laughs> look out, I might just throw this sucker. I used to do that back in the day. Most of you weren't even here then. I used to get all worked up. I'd throw a pen or a pencil. I've actually hit people a few times, not intentionally. I was a lot younger then, boy, and I had some power behind it. I wasn't trying to hurt anybody. I'd just get excited, you know, which I don't usually do. <laughs> I think I just lost my train of thought in the midst of all that. I've had people... Now, one of the, the most wonderful words of encouragement that I've gotten through the years, and I've had it many times, and again, it's all glory to God. It's not me. I'm just a mess like the rest of you. We're all just messes. 
People say, you know what? Before I came here, I could never understand the Bible. Now I understand it. I don't think a pastor could get a greater compliment than that. But I've actually had people recently accuse me of not teaching the Scriptures. And then they leave here and they go to churches that don't teach the Scriptures. Can anybody explain that to me? Because I know who they are and I know where they're going and I know they don't teach the Scriptures there. Can you tell me what's wrong with this picture? I've been around a while. I've seen a lot. I know a lot. I don't know everything by any stretch of the imagination. But for the life of me, that's one I can't figure out. If anybody can figure it out, come and talk to me. And some of you may know who I'm talking about. It's amazing. And the reason they say I don't teach the Scriptures is because I dare to comment on what's happening in our culture, in our society, in our world today, and how it relates to the Bible. How dare I? God forbid. No, God forbids me not to. I'm crazy like Mike Pence. I'm insane like Mike Pence. Jesus talks to me. Can you imagine that? But I'm not going to write a book. Oh man, I just had an inspiration. This is amazing. Jesus texting. It's not Jesus calling. It's Jesus texting. Hello? Pretty soon you won't have to pay me a salary anymore. I can make millions off of Jesus texting. And then maybe we'll do Jesus Facebooking. Jesus tweeting. Why hasn't Sarah Young seized on these opportunities? I don't get it. Don't steal my idea. Jet fuel. Okay. <laughs> ah. 1 Peter 3.15 But sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Set Him apart as your Lord. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asked you for a reason for the hope that is in you. How do you do that? By studying to show yourself approved. With meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, which they have and they will, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. 1 John 2.28 Now, little children, abide in him, live in him, dwell in him, that when he appears... Can you believe these New Testament writers? They're always talking about when Jesus comes back. Why don't they just shut up and deal with the here and now? What's the matter with these apostles and these New Testament writers? They're always talking about the return of Christ, when he appears, when he comes in his glory. I think we need to just change the Bible, don't you? That when he appears, again, keeping our eyes to the skies, look up for your redemption draweth nigh. It's not coming from down there. It's not coming from over there or over there. It's coming from up there. When he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And again, none of us are perfect We all stumble in many ways. I don't know about you guys. I'm pretty sure I sin every day. Therefore, I confess every day. I repent every day. I seek to be washed in the blood of the Lamb every day. 
But there are going to be those, sadly, unfortunately, that when they see Jesus, they're going to be ashamed. I don't want to be one of them. It's not by our perfection. We can't be perfect in this life. We are going to fall short, but it's by constantly seeking Him, seeking to be like Him, crucifying our flesh. Why do you think Paul said, I beat my body? He wasn't talking about physically flagellating himself. He was talking about in the Spirit, I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I beat my body into submission because it's not easy. It's a struggle. It's a daily struggle. And I don't believe it's a struggle that we can win on our own. We win it together as the body of Christ coming together, worshiping, studying the Word of God, praying, being in relationship. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. If you want to increase your risk of being ashamed when Christ returns, isolate yourself from the body of Christ. Make it a low priority. Don't make Christian fellowship a high priority. Don't make being instructed in the Word of God a high priority. Don't make corporate worship a high priority. Don't make praying together a high priority. Don't make fellowship with other believers a high priority. And you will increase your risk exponentially of being ashamed at the return of Christ. Are you listening to me? Why is that? Because God created the church. Upon this rock, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God gave us the church for a reason. He did not create us as individual entities. In one regard, we are. We each have to have our own personal relationship with God. You can't be saved for me. I can't be saved for you. But he put us together to help each other make it to the finish line. You get it? All right. All right, this is it. In this world, we're constantly bombarded with the words, attitudes, and actions of men that try to put us to shame for following Jesus. But if we stand firm, not shrinking back, let me read this again from 1 Peter 3.15. Those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. If we stand firm, not shrinking back, it is they, not us, who will be ashamed when he returns. And we'll be with him. When he returns to rule the world, those who have reviled us, and again, this is why we should pray for them, not hate them, not curse them, not try to seek revenge, because they, not us, will be ashamed in the end for rejecting God's offer of salvation, the free gift of salvation, and eternal life, through His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Let's stand. Let's pray together. Let's bow our heads. Father God, thank You for Your Word. It is powerful. It's dynamic. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Thank You, God, for piercing our hearts today with Your Word. Father, we pray that You'd help us not to just be like the guy that James talks about who looks in the mirror, walks away, forgets what he looks like, being a hearer of the word only and not a doer. Lord, let your word penetrate deep within our hearts and minds. May it have an impact on what we think, what we believe, how we live, how we act. Lord, we want to have your glory rest upon us to such a degree that it causes people to reproach us, to bring reproach upon us, to revile us. Lord, not because we like being reviled, but Lord, we want to know that people see enough of you in us that it offends them. 
That's the only way anyone's ever going to come to Christ through us is if they can see us to such an extent and such a degree that some are offended and others are broken. Others repent and are saved because they see you in us. Lord, as we leave today, before we leave, we ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit here today to touch those who would desire to come for prayer today. That we'd have a sweet time of worship and ministry in closing here today. And that you would just rest upon those seeking you. Rest upon everyone in this place, but especially those who in their hearts and minds even now are reaching out to you for help, for strength, for comfort, for guidance. And some even perhaps for salvation today. Lord, minister to your people as we close. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.